Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. You know, we are living in extraordinary times right now. And Dr. Kathy O'Vera is joining me here today because we are really going to get down. This is really a power up radio conversation today for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that I want to share before uh, I introduce Dr. Kathy and get into it is, you know, there are two sides of things. And, you know, the one side is dealing with the reality of our times. The flip side is honoring the courage. And Benny, our hats go out and our hat goes off to the courage that, you know, we're seeing with people in the greater Seattle area, Jennifer in particular, who was the first candidate to volunteer for the COVID-19 vaccine. And uh, this is something that she did not have to do. This is a person that's not sick. Uh, Her organization is working with her so she can be part of this study. They showed her first injection yesterday. And off we go to really talk about what I call the multifaceted nature of fear and courage. Today, we're talking with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, who is a best-selling author. She is known for her brilliant work in organizations with originals to really that level of expertise, putting her in front of hundreds of higher education groups, people, Uh, through leadership development, training, consulting, and she is on the forefront, on the front lines of what is happening in our organizations, in our businesses. She sees it. She writes about it. She works with people to bring folks together to create more equitable, inclusive environments, right? And, you know, even in situations where you have our leadership of our of of the country asking one of our Supreme Court justices to, you know, recuse herself because of her age, we're really struck by a dynamic that we are so unwilling to talk about and address. But today, you know, Dr. Kathy is coming here to the forefront, the host of her own show, which we're going to talk about here, is how do we create racial inclusivity? So creating racially inclusive high performance teams is so important that her and my history of looking at this, we could, we could tell you countless stories of why these teams come together and they are better, higher performing than groups of individually, culturally singular groups. And there's a lot of studies on this, but today 
this is what we're going to talk about. And there is a cost to this that nobody is talking about except Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Dr. Kathy, great to have you. Thank you so much, Dr. Pat. And I just want to join you in sending love and healing light to all the listeners and all communities. And these times are unprecedented in my lifetime. They're unexpected, incredibly turbulent. And it's a time also when if we take our eyes off the ball around racial justice, racism is going to continue to flare up everywhere we look. And we can just look at how the administration has been talking about First of all, their lack of efforts, but then now that they're running to catch up, the racist ways that the current administration has been positioning, that's happening in our organizations, it's happening in our communities. And so particularly we whites, as most folks are probably scared, yes, courageous, yes, reaching out to people, but who are we reaching out to? Yeah. Our neighbors, but are we in racially segregated areas? Are we reaching out to across races? Are we doing it virtually online? So who are we reaching out to as we're supporting people to have courage, faith, and all they need in these times when not only in organizations, but in the society and world, the resources are really being set up for folks who already have a lot of access and privilege. And so I'm excited to join you today to help keep the issues of racial justice on our screen while we are also scrambling, staying centered, praying, to show up as our highest nature so we can be a part of creating the changes that need to be happening here and supporting the lives. You know, what you do and the conversation you bring to the table and the level of truth and directness is so important right now. You know, I, I, I made a statement the other day and I'm just gonna keep it really brief, but I was talking about what my friend who's an immigration attorney was talking with me about. And what she said was, pass any thought. And I said, well, like, what's the thought? She said, what do you think about the, the, the number of cases of the virus and those states being states which are sanctuary states? And I said, but yeah, I've talked about it and it's common sense because this is a time when people want to come out, people of all races, and come together as a un unity, as a unified group, and say, we want to help in any ways we can. But if we are afraid to come forward, and we are a person of a group, and we are definitely not going to come forward, there is a cost that we can't quantify very well. And that happens, especially when we're looking at performance teams and organizations, doesn't it? It does. And it's a great point that sanctuary cities might have places where folks that are undocumented or assumed to be because of racism, xenophobia. I hadn't thought of this, but until you said that, if I'm right, it's Washington State, New York, California, which is probably San Francisco, LA. They're also yeah. huge airports. And so there probably are a lot of reasons why those areas are particularly seeing larger numbers now. And it could be people are telling the truth and they've gotten state and local resources to do more testing because the federal government has woefully and criminally, in my opinion, fallen behind. So speaking of woefully behind, what are organizations doing in these critical times? 
Are they only giving people who have white collar jobs the opportunity to work from home and in fact requiring it? And folks that are low income, um, have very low paying jobs, hourly workers and no paid sick days, are they being required to show up? And are the, so all of this, while that could sound hierarchical in class, we know because of racism in this country, many more folks in those low paying unpaid leave jobs are immigrants of color, domestic folks of color. We could just keep going. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, I talked to one of our state senators who's a friend of mine and I, I'll tell you what, this conversation with you is so timely and so important because there is an underpinning of truth, which we are not getting to. And let me tell you how systemic it is for us, which we don't even think about. So here, let me give you one thing, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. So in the state of Washington, of course, our governor, Jay Inslee, for the most part, you know, comes out and full-blown program of what to do and how to do it, right? But one of the things that he did and the federal government is doing, and again, he is doing this twice. In our state, small businesses get a B&O tax, right, on gross wages. So if you're a small business and you earn, I don't know, $100,000, you have to pay the state on your gross wages. Now, they added a surcharge to that. But here's what's happening. The people that have paid all their taxes on time. Now, this is both federal now and in state. If you've been fine and been able to pay those taxes like right on time, you're good to go. You're going to get a waiver, Dr. Kathy, of any penalties. But if you have not been able to do that in 18 months, you're not part of the waiver group. So I said, I, I said to them, I said, what are you people thinking? So these are the people in our state that are made up of the groups that you and I are talking about today. Not everybody, but there's white folks in here too that are not going to get a break for what's going on for some irrational, illogical decision that's made on some principle of punishment rather than compassion. There's my, that's it. That's all I'm going to say today. And a quick tool that anybody can use, whites and of color, indigenous, multiracials, in any of those groupings, of those meetings, ask by group membership, particularly about race and class, will this decision have a differential negative impact that we're not anticipating? Just ask by race and class, what's going to be the impact that we're not thinking about? Are there more people we need to get involved who might think differently from us and help us see? Because if we make a policy that has a racist implication at this point or a classist implication, are trying to undo that, much less the impact to our reputation, the cost to people's lives is going to be so significant. We need to just slow down for a moment and ask these questions. And so that's just one example of what organizations could be doing now as they're scrambling to make decisions based on no background and how do we deal with COVID-19 and all it means right now? And how are we considering? So for instance, are, is every manager and supervisor being required to daily reach out, whether it's 10 feet away or electronically, or you pick up the phone to each person they supervise and then asking how they're doing, not 
Let's get to work. And why is this about race? Because most white managers feel much more comfortable talking to other whites. Yeah. And so they may have more in-depth, emotional, supportive conversations, whereas the folks of color might be, hey, how are you doing? Great. Did you get those three tasks done? And so that impersonal, tasky just replicates the kind of racist microaggressions that happen every day when we are face-to-face or even virtually. And so having senior leaders trickle down to all managers, supervisors, reach out and make sure you're doing equitable time, energy, focus, and lead with how can we support you? What do you need? Really countering that task, time is money, and really shifting the culture to employee engagement. It could be that how we respond in these next few months, particularly these next weeks, could help employees and managers realize there's another way to engage, which is not based on white culture, which is top-down, power hoarding, do it my way, either or perfectionism, but community collectivism, everybody has a voice. Yes, there's hierarchy, but how do we empower all and get brilliant ideas from everyone and not assume it's really just white folks that have the ideas because of these racist attitudes we were socialized with and still carry to this day. You know, you're bringing up a you're bringing up a, a really good point, but I, I want to skip the break because I want to keep rolling with this for a minute. There are consequences of our behavior right now. Now, you and I both know there are consequences from decades of behavior, right? Like there are all those consequences. But right now, we may be creating a woundedness. And somebody would ask the question, and I know you asked this question, why do what why do white people, why should white people care? Well, here's the thing. We're not even clear in our mindset of the damage we're doing. And let me give you an example. And not just to people of a particular group, right? I had a friend call me the uh, oh, about a month. Well, this started about a month ago here in my state. And so friend called me and said, hey, I don't know what to do. And I said to him, what do you mean? He works for, shall I say, a large software organization, right? And I said, what do you mean? He says, I have a situation. He says, Alice Lee uh, was told to go home and work from home. And Alice Lee is uh, uh, of the Asian community. And he said, but none of us have been asked to go home. So Alice works for me. And I don't know what to say to Alice about why she was asked to go and work from home. And it was presented like, hey, Alice, this is the greatest thing you could do. Go work home, right? This was a month ago. Since that month ago, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And so two things have happened with this scenario. One we have now targeted Alice Lee, and I'm keeping the name confidential. It's not really Alice Lee, so please, folks. But two things. One, Alice Lee now had been targeted early as somebody, oopsie, something wrong with Alice. And two, we've got this other population that feels like, why am I not able to work from home? You, can you see this is one situation and the complex nature of this but this is the work you do. What things are you seeing and what do you make of that scenario? Well, the racist 
attitudes that's being not only perpetuated by senior leadership and how they're framing this is getting then filtered down. So to graciously identify the, I'm assuming the only Asian American, Asian per presenting person, because your name with the end of Lee, I assumed it was L-I as opposed to L-E-E. -E. That's just one example <laughs> of thousands that are happening everywhere. And so asking directly employees who are Asian, Asian American, whether it's South Asian, Southeast Asian, because most whites US born and possibly other folks of color that are US born or maybe international may not discriminate as in cannot figure out who's what. So they have this Chinese bias, but it expands to all Asian American folk. And so particularly asking, how are you doing given the racist dynamics that have just exploded in ways that I wasn't anticipating. And so check in just like you would after a recent, um, you know, the synagogue bombing or mass murder, you check right. in with Jewish friends. And after another black um, person is killed by police, you might check in with your colleagues. Right. Your so in a similar way, and then as leaders, are you having conversations about how do we respond if we find out that one of our own employees, leaders, managers, does something racist, not only towards Asian, Asian American community members, but in general, what's our stance? And so do we need to be putting out an organization wide saying in these times, we want people to be supported yeah. and to be particularly aware that when people are feeling scared in their communities and scared about scarcities, the racist and other forms of oppression will probably show up more. And so here are the resources that you have access to if you experience them in your community, whether it's employee resource uh, groups that might continue meeting, whether it's an EAP program, employee assistance program, or where leaders say, text and call me directly and I will get on the phone. I may not be helpful, but I will listen and then support you thinking about what's next. And we have a zero tolerance policy. Racist dynamics of any kind, and in this case, there might be an increase of anti-Asian, Asian American. There is zero tolerance and we will deal with it as performance issue. Hmm. What is fueling this, Dr. Kathy? What is fueling this from your perspective? Because you see this every day. It's a little shocking for those of us here in the Pacific Northwest now that think we've got the, you know, we've done so well, right? You know, on the discrimination card, right? Uh, I'm, I grew up on the East Coast, but where, where is the fuel for this coming from? It almost seems to me like we're going back like 50 years or something. I don't know. Maybe I live in a bubble. Well, I join you in that bubble. I know in 16, <laughs> I thought we'd been making enough progress that we would have had a different result in November of 16. And then I've seen just emboldened hmm. ex escalating, accelerated, racist, xenophobic dynamics led by leaders in power. And so I'm not saying we're more racist attitudes than we had, but folks are showing up. So I'm not sure there's been a lot of shift in we whites carrying racist attitudes, beliefs that we're better, smarter, superior. Folks of color are deficit and deserve to be under us, literally in organizations. So there's that level. Um, you know, if you look at any of the articles about what we're talking about, what, 95 to 95, 97% of most U.S. companies have very few, if any, people of color in leadership. 
And just because you have a person of color in leadership does not mean it is safe for them to speak up. In fact, it's probably incredibly dangerous for a person of color in government, in leadership, in any kind of organization to be leading racial justice work because they will get moved out of the organization quickly. And so it's really the role of whites partnering with senior leaders who might be folk of color. Boards are mostly all white in this entire country and probably other white, predominantly white uh, countries. And so unless we have strong white change agents who are really co-conspirators leading, partnering with, I'm not saying leading over, but working with and taking the heat using our white privilege, then organizations will just be status quo because this takes a lot of courage, faith, and a lot of work to really say, particularly to white employees and leaders, we are not competent. Most, some of the research I was glancing at most supervisors feel uncomfortable talking about race. Whites yeah. don't feel comfortable. We're afraid we're going to make a mistake, get called racist. We're afraid that'll impact productivity. Uh, and so we're, if we're only measured by productivity or what, if we're not being measured by high um, engagement, retention, if you're not penalized, if you have a revolving door, here's the thing. So many organizations that I work with say, well, we have the same number of not increasing by one or 2% folks of color than we used to. My first thought is, A, that's not enough. It's not reflecting your customers. But B, I want data. Go back in the last five, 10 years. What's the longevity? Are you just having folks of color leave in the revolving door because it is toxic, dangerous for them to be here? They're hitting a glass ceiling that is so low. And you're just hiring others. So your numbers, your demographics look good. And I'm much more interested in competency development at the same time. What are you doing to develop the competencies of leaders and managers and all employees to lead with a racial lens, to look at embedded racist dynamics, racist um, policies, practices, and everything we do? That's the work we could be. Now, I'm not saying necessarily today because folks uh -huh healing from the last week. But as you look at the next two to four weeks, a lot of professional development could be done saying this is a critical role as we move into the next few months, we have to change our culture or we're going to continue. Yeah. Decrease in yeah. retention, exhaustion, folks of color exhausted, emotional labor, they're taxed doing two and three jobs to doing the equity inclusion, racial justice work while we whites are left to only do one job, the one we have. And so, and then just the negative, destroying impact of the consistent racist microaggressions. So why does this keep going? We're not paying attention and we see people of color as dispendable. That's the right word? Expendable and disposable. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting about where we are now, and I hope, let me ask you about this because, you know, this is something I was going to ask you about. Uh, I got a call from an old colleague of mine and said, hey, Pat, are you still doing organizational work? Do you still have the company OCG, the Organizational Consulting Group? And I said, well, I do do some. They said, well, you better fire that company up again. And I said, why? They said, well, we are going to be looking for people that know how to work with organizations right now on just this issue. So is this something that you're being sought after to come in and help with? Because see, the greatest fear I have when we're talking about inclusivity and in teams is not getting help now and minimalizing the damage that we're already seeing being done. 
I and many colleagues, particularly of color, being asked to come in with organizations that are doing pretty well, and then how can we be more inclusive yep. and cutting edge? And in this last year and plus, have been asked in with some of my colleagues of color in departments that are at a crisis stage that I'm finding, and I believe that more and more folks of color, particularly younger folks of color, particularly women of color, particularly black women, are saying, oh no, enough is enough. We will not tolerate this level of inattention, this level of increasing racist dynamics. We will not tolerate it. And the investment and courage and career impacting move of folk of color saying, we need to do something now or we may not be here. Folks of color could just leave, but I'm seeing the incredible courage of folks of color saying we want something different. And organizations, if you don't look at your data, whether it's focus group, whether it's survey, whether it's 101, and really disaggregate it, not only by race, but then women of color, men of color, trans of color, immigrants of color, folks with disabilities of color, if you don't start hierarchically of color, if you don't start really looking at the intersections, as Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw talks about, you're going to miss a lot of the nuances and your leaders and staff and employees, particularly are white, will not have the capacity to create high-performing teams because of the revolving, revolving door. And so, yes, more and more organizations need to do this, are asking. And my fear is, given the current chaos and just trauma of COVID-19, that I want things to settle up. My fear is some white leaders are going, now that we have to deal with this, equity inclusion, much less racism, this work off the table. Yeah, we'll keep the employee resource groups fine. Uh, but now we can just get back to the way it was. And if any organization does that, they are going to be oh, threatened by yeah, liability. They're going to lose customers, employees in addition to the financial costs that are happening in this last month, if not the future six months. So it is such a business case to invest in racial justice now. Oh yeah. As we should have been for decades. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is so important. Uh, Dr. Kathy, Dr. Kathy O'Bear uh, is joining me here today. Please give us a call, comment, question 1-800-930-2819. This, this is so important that organizations are, do not have a really good barometer right now for the degree by which they have already created a damage quotient. They don't, they don't even have that now. But if we use the past as a benchmark and we watch what we're doing now, there must be somebody in the organization that could make a case to say, We've got to learn how to communicate now. We've got to learn how to anticipate what it's going to be like for people in organizations. We've got to anticipate even the joking that goes on. Uh, I, I got a text from somebody I hadn't heard in a long time. Do you know what they asked? Let's take a short break and I'll tell you. This text, I never thought that I would get a text of this nature about who I am. But I got this text and it was supposedly joking. But if that's the kind of joke you're making and you're making it in public, 
boy, are we in trouble. Let's take a break. Dr. Kathy O'Bear, please go to Dr. Kathy's website, drkathyobear.com. When we come back, I'm going to share what that so-called joke was and then the message of what we need to be done to create not less radically inclusive. This is the time for more uh, racially inclusive teams, organizations, people. But I will say, you may not know how to do it. Dr. Kathy's here, we'll be right back. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx on transformationtalkradio.com. Your eternal purpose is calling out to you each and every day. Are you listening? Tune in to Dynamic Destiny Radio with Coach Pete Cafarcio every first and third Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to be your authentic self and live the life that you were destined for. Learn practical tools to discover your purpose and conquer other fears that keep you stuck in a life of mediocrity. Learn more about Coach Pete by visiting PeteCoaching.com. How many times do you find yourself saying, it was nothing, or just doing my job, when really you knocked it out of the park? How did you get like this? Next time someone tells you, great job, you'll know how to accept it and not deflect it by listening to Courage to be Seen Radio with host Sherry Clark. Sherry Clark is an experienced global engineering leader, coach, and mentor. From her experiences one-on-one coaching to corporate consulting and executive coaching, Sherry has learned many women need at least three things to discover and face success. Learn about the ACES program, how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self and how far you can go by being more you. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com. You have the courage to be seen. See you later. Some people dream of freedom before they know it even once. What happens when we find ourselves in unimaginable freedom? Retired, children are grown, we've moved on from caregiving, and don't know what to do with all that time you never had before. Well, it's your life. It's up to you now. On the hit new show, Fresh Courage, it's your time to shine with host Sharon Rolfe on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Look, this is the Dr. Pat Show, but this is one of our power-up versions of the show because, you know, Dr. Kathy O'Bear is joining me here today because we're talking about something that people are just not talking about. And sometimes in life, what happens is you will act in a certain way and then you will wish you didn't. 
And as, a, as an individual, as a person, you may be able to go back and repair some of the damage, make amends. There are a number of things you probably could try and do. But sometimes there just isn't enough that you could do because people don't forget. And right now, and what we have learned in the history of organizational performance is that the power of racially inclusive teams, the power of that across the board has demonstrated through studies, anecdotal case studies of what the potentiality is. And we have come a long way to literally foster and nurture those teams in the workplace. Haven't done a great job, but we certainly have gotten to the place where we know that there are people of value across the board. One area in particular I will tell you that I'm familiar with is in our medical profession. We have become clear that in the medical profession, it is so important to not exclude that the talent that comes to the table, that talent is the talent of doctors and nurses and others. And when somebody is in that operating room, they're not looking first at the color of the skin. They're looking at your talent for being able to really perform a surgical procedure or not. But boy, what's happening now and the reason that we are doing this show is because the ugly head of racial exclusivity is showing up and we're joking about it and there's nothing here to joke about. But the question now becomes for those of you that have listened to Dr. Kathy O'Bear and her show, the question really is what can be done to create more, more racially inclusive, high performance teams and organizations today, today, not later, because you've got to stop the behavior now. Dr. Kathy, this is a very big, important uh, conversation and a message for organizations of every size, isn't it? It is such a critical time, even before COVID-19, but a critical time now to not just move this off the screen. Give people maybe a couple weeks to settle into whatever life is becoming in the short, medium, or long term. And then how can this be one of your critical key focuses as moving forward, pulling mm-hmm. together folks in a task force to look at, let's just look at our hiring, retaining, onboarding practices with a race lens. Let's look at our products and services with a race lens. Let's look at what our data says. Let's look at what other data we need because we are committed that we can no longer afford any decrease in productivity, innovation, employee engagement, customer service, financial viability. And we realize that we may be doing things unintentionally that could be negatively impacting our colleagues of color, multiracial folk, indigenous folk, much less our customers. And so really this incredible time of trauma and chaos, could this be a time of opportunity to increase your ability bringing people together, not only in your organization, maybe in your community and have a larger conversation that might also get more racial diversity into the conversations because we white people have 
generally not done a good job of creating inclusive organizations, racially inclusive teams. Yes, demographically, a little bit maybe, but demographics is not enough because you get the revolving door if we don't change the culture and the climate and we're not really increasing the competencies of all whites and holding whites accountable to increase their competencies and show up racially competent and creating policies, practices, services to customers internally that really meet the needs, accelerate the success, thriving of all, including folk of color. That's what we have to hold as the vision. And leaders now can come out and say, this is what we've said because of the racism and xenophobia that's been going on for the, you know, increased maybe, especially now we are zero tolerance and we are proactively making these steps to look at what we're doing and how can we improve knowing this will may take months as people are juggling elder care child care and we are not waiting because if we wait they'll have dire consequences for our employees and our customers and maybe the financial viability of our organization you know it's interesting because about two weeks ago i was asked by one of our hosts what we were going to do as the network and two weeks ago seems like a lifetime ago, really, but when I think ago. about it. Yeah. And we were asked two weeks ago uh, about what we were going to do. And we have some great ideas, but something happened to me personally. And of course, I play ping pong. None of us are playing ping pong because the places have shut down. But something was said to me jokingly. That wasn't a joke. Just as an example, I'd like to share it because if something like this is being said to me in jokingly, I must think that people might be thinking this, right? Totally. So I get this message and it's like, hey, Goomba, hey, you're probably uh, quarantining yourself for a year. And I'm like, "Uh, what the heck are you talking about? I'm self-quarantining myself because a friend of mine had some kind of bug, flu. They don't know what it is, but it sounded like it could be. So I'm like quarantining myself, right? I don't want to bring it to the office. And then I get a, no, you know, you know, you, it's like, hey, Paisan, you know what I mean? You, you people, you Italians. And I'm like t- texting back because I'm not getting it. I'm just not putting it together, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, look at what's going on in Italy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, did you just do that? Did you just, in in ignorance about even finding out what's going on in Italy, did you just go to that place where Italians might be more susceptible? <laughs> did you really do? I mean, I must be, I must be living in a bubble if this is still going on. What do you make of a comment like that? I mean, okay, joking, not so much to me, because I'm telling you, that seed got planted in my brain, and I started to think, well, wait a minute, is that true? And I went online, I started to Google it, because I was thinking, right? But how crazy is that? The flippancy with which people, particularly whites in this case, will say things without thinking is just reflective of what's happening in our organizations. It's happening on emails. And think about the impact, if that were an email that went out to a team joking, 
Now, I have found myself with my friends. We're kind of on all on a chat together. Yep. Serious as well as some joking because I need humor to balance yep. out. So on the one hand, how do we help people think? So could leaders put out an email saying, in this time, be very clear your emails, what you say in person, because what you think is funny or a joke could be fueled by all kinds of bias and will have significant impact. So could, I mean, that's probably what the 20th thing we've talked about, what could happen. <laughs> but it's, as you said, if this white person is saying this to you as a white person of Italian heritage, what are they saying behind closed doors? What are they saying that has more racist implications, uh, xenophobic implications, and I, I don't know if it was Dr. Maya Angelou or I don't know who said yeah. it. Uh -huh. How someone does anything is how they do everything. Yeah. Wow. Boy. So someone might say, oh, it's just one joke. How someone does anything is how they probably do everything. And so as managers and leaders, recognizing we have for decades excused away a racist comment, a racist joke, a practice that seemed to be white privilege. Oh, no, that's just a good business practice instead of. Is that just the canary in the coal mine, either what somebody said that was racist or what they didn't do that perpetuated racism and what's underneath it? If you want to use the iceberg analogy, this is just the tip. So how do we get people when the time is right, but not too much farther, especially in HR to look at, huh, let's look at our pay with not only a race, but intersectional lens by people of color, men of color, trans of color, women of color, by heart, and just looking at how we're doing stretch opportunities, development opportunities with that intersectional lens, because that data could help leaders in three or four weeks when they're not scrambles to then say, ooh, we have some gaps here. And if we really want high-performing teams, high-performing divisions, we need to invest differently than we have. Yeah, they're not even thinking about, and this is uh, the next thing I want to talk with you about, that I don't think that we're stopping enough to take a breath, to ask ourselves, are we behaving in a way that's going to force foster the kind of team performance we really need in the world to be the company we envision us to be? And this is this place that I've seen working in the corporations you see on a regular basis, where unless Dr. Kathy, someone like you reaches out to companies and says, we have something of importance to you, we want to come in and work with your leadership team and work with others so that you're building a strong foundation for today and the future. If you, if someone like you is is not able to do that the chaos that my friends are telling me right now that are going on in organizations it's beyond anything i've ever seen right i have seen a few things in my day but this it's almost like a silent killer because people aren't really talking but they're taking action that is so harmful and hurtful and organizations with this nonprofit, K-12, education, corporations are not prioritizing. They are saying things like teamwork. But if we don't really focus on the racist, interpersonal microaggressions 
how, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, most people color experience every day in the organization. Yeah. And the culture and the climate that says white way is the right way. Our culture is the only way. If we don't intentionally get ahead of this now. Yeah. Um, and so most whites, I think, are at the individual level. I'm a good one. I don't say anything racist. First of all, we're not aware of the racist dynamics that we perpetuate. We're not aware, kind of like your friend, we're not aware of how white culture has been set up as the only way because we're not talking about this. We don't know about white privilege, how it's embedded into all hiring practices, promotion practices. And so it's going to take significant development awareness. And so in this time when people are hopefully not working with other people face to face, there might be a little more time to do book clubs, whether it's the book that I have on your site, but yeah. I'm not racist, Tools for Well-Meaning Whites. And there's a 14-page book club guide, all free. 100,000 plus have already downloaded for free, downloaded for everybody in your organization. Just need a few people with the capacity to organize some whites, and it could be five, 10 people who want to really use an hour a week to look at how they might be still holding on to racist attitude yeah. behaviors, and then more find the courage to speak up in the moment and be leaders. If organizations don't have the internal capacity, how can they think about as a longer term strategy, identifying one person in each department who's gonna be trained up to have an equity inclusion lens with racism, a key part of that center. But most organizations, to be honest, They'll listen to this and a lot of whites will not listen. But if you come at it strategically, say full breadth of differences. So we increase our ability to serve everyone and also attract and retain the best talent. While you're doing that, make sure you keep race centered in the conversation. And don't throw it off the tables. We're looking at issues of for LGBTQ, people with disabilities, folks um, who have different religious backgrounds. So that might be a strategy move to then develop what I call in inclusion partners, somebody in every department yeah. who is a thought partner with the leader, because most leaders, managers, supervisors don't have the capacity. One research data I showed the 41% of managers said, I don't have time to deal with equity inclusion. And that's in addition to the folks that are trying, but not competent. So how do you use this time creatively, innovatively yeah. to scaffold development for everyone, but especially for somebody who could be a thought leader inside every department. So the leaders don't feel so incompetent that they don't do anything, but they know they have someone they can work with an inclusion partner. And this is really the time though, that people really get on board. Uh, you mentioned one of your books. I want to take a moment and please share with folks some of the books you have, because this is the time when folks that are listening, right? You're thinking, uh, what do I give my manager? What can I, how can I point them in a direction? What do I do to say, wait a minute, we could prevent a problem. And you have a number of ways that you could do that. Because I think what's really important here is, look, I consider myself to be pretty aware. And I Googled what, what's going on in Italy. I mean, Right. I, I mean, I know better. And I still went on <laughs> to find out if it was a joke or not. Fear and terror are such deep fueling behavior. It, it is, I relate each day. I've had moments of anxiety and I've had to talk myself down. Yeah. I too have gone to research because when I 
for me, when I know more, yeah, then I can change my thoughts to be like, I have all I need, believe in faith. But several times a day, I'm getting into urgency. So community is critical. So I've been reaching out to friends and colleagues, to be honest, next week. Hopefully by the end of the week, I'm starting twice a week. People that want to come together and just be in community, talk about how can we, particularly as whites, learn together? How can we engage? If there are racist comments, what can we be doing now to develop? I'm just going to pull people together on Tuesdays and Fridays. Yeah. Wow. Same time, same station. I think it's 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon. And I'll put a Zoom out and I'll put it on Please. Facebook. I'll put it. Sorry, go ahead. Please tell me because we want to make sure that folks get connected to you. And but what I just feel helpless and useless. And so I saw something yesterday on Facebook. Do what you can. What are your talents, your gifts? Do those. Yeah. And so my book, like I said, but I'm not racist, Tools for Many Whites has always been free on my website as well as, I don't know, lots of other resources you can download. The Turn the Tide, How to Navigate Difficult Situations, I believe is still free on my website, but I'm going to make a note to make sure it is. Um, we need that right now. Navigating when we feel a hot button and triggered and how to use changing our thoughts, other self-care practices to not dismiss and say this is fooey but a realistic analysis and not an over fear so that we just spin. And how do we engage others when they are triggered, when yeah. they're in a hot button again, whether it's in our work environment, community, family. And the final one that's always been free on my website, in it for the long haul, long haul, uh, overcoming passion fatigue and burnout. I particularly wrote this for people who are equity, inclusion, social justice, change agents, inside and outside organizations and this book and its free resources could be useful as people are asking the question, how have I been living my life? How have I been burning a candle at five ends so that I'm not as innovative, creative, and I'm more quick to joke in offensive ways. I'm more scared to speak up as a change agent because I'm afraid I'll get fired. So I have self-care, community care, all intersecting with our work around dismantling racism and other forms of oppression, which is all related to navigating difficult situations, which are often fueled by bias, fear. We have to start with ourselves navigating why we are fueled to say things or go into fight, flight, freeze, flounder, so we can show up more effectively in those very difficult moments, which to be honest, when I'm centered, aren't that difficult. Yeah. Someone says something racist or anti-Italian, I can easily say, so did you really just say that? Or what? why were you saying that? Or oh, I, that's what I did because I, I'm telling you, it was like, I didn't get the memo, right? I didn't get the memo on it. And then finally, what did I, what I ended up doing before I did my research, I, I, I sent something back saying, hey, no worries. I stockpile garlic, something like that. Uh, but we are really in times now where the work you do, first of all, let's say it, it can be done on Zoom. We can start Zoom meetings. We can field questions. We can bring people together. And by the way, there aren't very many that are taking this particular question on right now, Dr. Kathy. And this is one of the deadly, silent, deadly killers right now. It's this kind of behavior energetically and otherwise that are creating levels of woundedness that I wonder if we'll ever really talk about them. And you said offline, will we recover from? Folks of color are probably 
looking right now, is there a place that's any better? Can I apply for a job even now or in six months? Um, at least that's what I might be doing. Um, when I was in organizations that were homophobic, you bet, and sexist, oh. I was looking. So may not be the same. Um, and what can we be doing now to really, again, I'm not saying today necessarily, but you have folks in your organizations, whether they're in HR, running employee resource groups, whether they're part of your inclusion change team, who first of all, reach out to find how they're doing, and then say, when, let, let us know when you want to come together, or if you're willing, given your particular life situation, we would love to start more public conversations within a group of willing and mostly competent around these issues to say, what could we be doing now to prepare for a month from now? And are there any decisions that we need to have a race yeah. lens on and get more people? Yeah. So look in your organizations, you have incredible resources there as well as outside. And I can give names of probably a hundred people who do this work really effectively. Uh, and I'm sure there are even more in people's communities. You don't have to do it alone. And uh, membership matters. Yeah. Sometimes folks of color are coming in to do this work as consultant and as an executive coach is critical. And sometimes having the white person who might get heard because folks of color have been discounted for decades, centuries. So think critically about who the messenger is, not only their competence, but group membership. And it. And I have so many more ideas, Tuesdays, Fridays. If you get on anything on my website for free, you'll get on my master um, emailing yeah. list and you'll hear about it. Send yeah. it around. I, I don't know if it, people will come. Well, we'll announce it too. People want a forum. They want a forum. And community. You know, they want a forum. They want community. And they want to make sure that it's okay for them to not know what they don't know right now. I don't know. I'm just saying I'm good at this. Let's show up and collectively, what's your questions, dilemmas? I'll have ideas. But in the chat, let's give more. I don't know. Yeah. We're in unprecedented times in our lifetimes, but collectively, yeah. I believe with the race lens, we will have more answers and progress than if we isolate and perpetuate whiteness and white privilege as we keep doing in organizations. Somebody said to me, hey, did you stop playing table tennis? And I said, well, I stopped because the place is closed. And then they asked me, would you go play? And I said, yeah, if one of the places were open, I'd go play. And they'd say, why would you do something like that? And I said, well, it's pretty easy. First of all, if you've ever watched anybody play, the level of sterilization, people wipe down tables, they wipe down bats, right? I said, they have ozone machines and CPAC machine cleaners that they're cleaning balls with. And I said, unless you plan to eat off the floor, you generally don't are not within six feet of your opponent on a regular basis. And unless you're gonna play the game and you don't wanna wear your black tattoo gloves like I have, and I play with anyway, you have to think about what are we saying yes to and what are we saying no to? And if you don't go play, and this is what I said to them, it's not gonna be because I play with Asian people. It'll be something other than that. I'm sheltering in place until they tell us otherwise. Dr. Exactly, Kathy, I am thank you too. For what you do. Thank you, Dr. Kathy. We're going to let people know about this. Hey, everybody, thank you for tuning us in. We'll see you next time. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.